Does that make sense? Exegesis is drawing meaning from the text. Now, these guys would recommend something I don't, that I don't think is necessary. And they're going to recommend a critical text approach to pawing around in the original languages and a bunch of, you know, time with lexicons and lexicographers. And I don't think that's necessary. I think your King James Bible is enough. And you can believe the text and understand it in the English and compare Scripture with Scripture and check yourself with commentators and men that have written, studied, and preached it before. Check your own opinions. If you run into a conundrum, call people you respect, but go and work and plow to get clarity. That's exegesis. That is trying to draw meaning from the text, not impose meaning on it. Heard a sermon in Bible college, there cometh one after you. All right? That's where it said, you know, John the Baptist, there's one that's going to come after him, which is Jesus, right? There cometh one after you. The whole sermon was, there's people coming in behind you, so clean the bathroom when you're done. Right? That's not exposition at all. I'm not saying that that's a sinful thing to preach in a college chapel. It just seems to me it's flippant with the text, isn't it? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Is, wouldn't there be a scriptural way to say, don't trash the bathroom? How about just making an announcement before the sermon? You guys keep trashing the bathroom. You're going to have to find another place to go to college. I love you. That's not going to work. If you want to be a man of God, you ought to have some character, some decency. Stop it. All right, let's sing. <laughs> Wouldn't that be enough? All right. He added that exposition may be defined as, quote, the process of laying open a biblical text in such a way that its original meaning is brought to bear on the lives of contemporary listeners. A lot of preachers these days want to find out what is important to the contemporary listeners and try to massage and adjust the Bible to the, a way they'll appreciate it. But the, what the real exposition is knowing what the Bible says and then bringing that to bear on the contemporary listener in a way in which they will understand it and be able to apply it to their lives. That's a job, but that's the job. Here's the, the, the definition of expository sermon that Vines puts in his book. A discourse that expounds a passage of Scripture. Say that word expound. That's a biblical word. A discourse that expounds a passage of Scripture, organizes it around a central theme and main divisions which issue forth from the given text and then decisively applies its message to the listeners. Y'all see how that is different from topical preaching and it is not suggesting that you read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain. See, see how there's something different there. So exposition is being misdefined by our brethren because they don't want to be bothered with the hindrance that it brings to the table. They want to be able to crusade from the pulpit. They don't want to have to say, when a guy says, Chad got on this a little bit last night, and I said I've never done this, so... I'm not going to apologize. I'm just going to say it. When a guy says, I was ready to preach, but the Lord changed my eyes. During the song service, the Lord gave me a different sermon. What? I've spent 20 hours preparing the sermon. <laughs> You're going to get a different sermon in the song service? How does that work? Now, I realize that every pastor should have a lifetime of study and preparation and understanding of the text. And it may be over the course of a pastor's experience, 
maybe once in a decade or whatever. That's arbitrary, but, but maybe once in a while something could happen that he just wants to speak in a pastoral context to his church out of the Scripture. That's not the end of the world. But let's understand, that's not how you systematically and faithfully edify the body of Christ from the Scripture. Maybe the resistance to this kind of preaching is rooted in the desire to emphasize things that are not in the Bible, requiring a wrangling of texts and slippery slope arguments and exaggerated syllogisms. Haddon Robinson defined expository preaching as, quote, the communication of a biblical concept derived from and transmitted through a historical, grammatical, and literary study of a passage in its context, which the Holy Spirit first applies to the personality and experience of the preacher, then through him to his hearers. That's expository preaching. You can do that with one verse. Like that Jesus went a little farther thing. Why would you wrangle a text to say that when you could actually take the text that says that we should go the extra mile? <laughs> right? <laughs> two wildly popular books on this subject of preaching would be John Stott's Between Two Worlds and D. Martin Lloyd-Jones's book Preaching and Preachers. Stott was very clear. Try to hang in here with me on this. John Stott said, I cannot myself acquiesce in this relegation, sometimes even grudging, of expository preaching to one alternative among many. It is my contention that all true Christian preaching is expository preaching. Of course, if by an expository sermon is meant a verse-by-verse -verse explanation of a lengthy passage of Scripture, that indeed it is only one possible way of preaching. But this would be a misuse of the word. Properly speaking, exposition has a much broader meaning. It refers to the context of the sermon rather than its style. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. Now here's what a lot of these guys I suspect, and, and I have some of them are my friends. There's some that are really, there's one guy that really, really hates what I'm saying right now, like it's satanic. And you can see it in his what he posts online and some of the books that he writes and some of the stuff. And, and he's not my enemy, he's a friend. I love it. We disagree here. He he kind of wants to think we're closer to agreeing than disagreeing. I know that we're not, but I love what he is and what he's trying to do. But, man, this right here chafes him to the bone. But, because somehow, here's what they think. They think they're, they're covering themselves here. If they say in the introduction to the sermon what the text means in general, this text is dealing with such and such and such and such, and then they go on and lift their phrase from the text that they want to monopolize mm -hmm. on or, 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 or use, and then they go on and preach the sermon they want to preach. I'll give you some examples that I've preached like this that are just dreadful. How about where Rachel said, give me children or else I die. She was barren and couldn't have children. And so, give me children or else I die. 
And so I made that a sermon about soul winning. Give me children. Let me win souls. I'd rather die than not win souls. Right? And I know you might be thinking, well, what's wrong with that? Well, it's, it's not wrong in, its, in the impulse of wanting to win souls. It's wrong in the fact that that's not what the text is saying. And number two, being hysterical about our lack of results, I don't know that there's a Pauline support for that, is there? Having a burden for souls, yes. But you see how it kind of gets out of whack. And then the sermon becomes just sensational stories about winning souls. It's not expounding Scripture at all. I preached another one about, uh, you know, that Jezebel's thrown out of that tower and the dogs ate her up, right? And I preached on... Um, <laughs> Feeding the dogs that devour you. You know, I just theorize. These are a wild pack of dogs. And imagine every day Jezebel's throwing those scraps out the back door. Amen. She's feeding those dogs every day. You know, like the flesh, you feed the flesh, and one day it rises up and devours you. Watch too much Lawrence Welk before you know it. You know, you're throwing yourself in a mosh pit. You know, how's that? Y'all with me? Feed the dogs and devour you. Well, so th that's not what that text is saying. I just made that up. That's just all a sensationalization of things that we know are generally true, but it's not what the text is saying. And some people are entertained by it, but any thinking person would have been going, <laughs> seriously? Now, that doesn't mean that you... I do have a sermon that I've preached where it says, He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. And so I preach on some things we trample on the road to destruction. And the idea is it is very possible for an off-rebuked, reproved person to destroy their own interest, to destroy their life and their determination to be rebels. And that's biblical, and you can unpack that there, and it's biblical. That which is, there's a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death, right? And so we just keep going on and we trample some things. What do we trample? Well, then there's verses that you can use to answer that question, you know, one of which is, is that we, you know, we trample our loved ones and their, their, their rebuke, right? He that being often reproved, who's doing the reproving? And you've got all that there. So that's not a deep exposition, but it's a treatment of the principle in the verse that is fair and right and is fine, right? I heard a preacher preach one time on the way of the transgressor is hard. And, uh, well, let's go on. I, mean, I, mean, I get to doing that, we'll never get done. We're going to get done with this, take a break. So whether or not uh, these guys are your stripe is irrelevant. They understand the definition of expository. You know what that means. Stott went on to say that a master, the scripture, the biblical text, is a master which dictates and controls what is said. That's what we're trying. That's where the thinking comes in, the study comes in, the consideration comes in. To expound scripture is to bring out of the text what is there and expose it to view. Lloyd-Jones said, the big difference, I would say, I wish I could say this with a British accent, 
between a lecture and a sermon is that a sermon does not start with a subject. A sermon should always be expository. In a sermon, the theme or the doctrine is something that arises out of the text. And its context is something that is illustrated by that text and context. I therefore lay down this proposition that a sermon should always be expository. But then he goes on to say, so you notice how he, he doesn't believe that expository is one option among many, neither did stop. So that's where we go back to this recurring problem, and it's with the definitions and the explanation, which we've already covered. It, it means to expound or explain a text, to lay it open, lay it bare. He says that a sermon is not a running commentary on or a mere exposition of or a meaning of a verse or a passage or a paragraph. I emphasize this because there are many today who have become interested in what they regard as expository preaching, but who show very clearly that they do not know what is meant by expository preaching. So the key difference between exposition and topical dissertations is that the Bible determines the topic and the form and the proportional emphasis. That may be, again, to go back to a previous worn out, uh, very perilous conversation about standards and separation. The problem in our circles is that a lot of these subjects that become so meaningful to us and we become so heated up about it and exercised in their defense, we can't preach a sermon without bringing it into it. When the amount of scripture that deals with it is very little. And there are subjects in the Bible that receive great emphasis that we never touch at all. Why? What's happening? Do you know what the Bible talks about probably more than any other subject? The kingdom. It's like a third of the Bible is talking about a coming kingdom. We don't talk about it because it doesn't, doesn't, work, doesn't help us build the church. It doesn't, we don't think it has anything to do with us directly right now. So, yeah. Or we spiritualize it make it about America. If my preacher called by my name, hear my voice, right? Yeah. Turn from their wicked ways. And, you know, then when I hear from heaven and heal their land, America can be turned back to God. That verse has not one thing to do with America. Well, yeah, but it's a good application. It's a horrible application. You don't make good application by misinterpreting a passage. Mm -hmm. You have to correctly interpret the passage and then carefully make application. And watch this. You can preach a really good sermon and make no application at all. If the people understand the truth and the Scripture's made clear to them and they take that truth home and live it, you don't need to tell them everything. Why do we think we have to tell people everything? I had a preacher. He knows my view on some of this, so he, he kind of took me to task in his sermon before I preached mine. <laughs> he didn't call me by name. He just kind of whipped me. You know how that goes. And he's, you know, he just ranted for quite a while about how the application is the most important thing. We don't need all that history of the text and everything. Application is the important thing. And it's actually not important at all. I'm going to modify that a little bit. A little bit of disagreement in that area. You have some expositors who think application is, a, is an important component of the delivery of the sermon. And they say, explain, illustrate, and apply. Explain, illustrate, and apply. That can be the body of the sermon where you explain it up front, you illustrate it in the middle, and you apply it as a conclusion. Or you can make multiple points through the text that you explain, illustrate, and apply. Explain, illustrate, and apply. I'm not opposed to that. 
But if you explain the scripture and they see it and get it, you're not obligated to give them six things they have to do because they got it. <laughs> see? Al Moeller, he's the president of Southern Seminary now, big voice in conservative evangelicalism. Muller said, I am convinced that we add to the confusion by discussing expository preaching as merely one kind of preaching, or even the best kind. When we fall into that pattern, we do serious injury to the scriptural vision of preaching. Let's be clear, according to the Bible, exposition is preaching, and preaching is exposition. So, preaching means, or, or exposition means to explain. At the risk of redundancy, Parker said that exposition is preaching, quote, that preaching consists in an explanation and application of a passage of Scripture. Without explanation, it is not expository. Without application, it is not preaching. Now, that John MacArthur would disagree with him on that, but it's only a practical disagreement. You understand that? That, you know, how you apply it, whether it's necessary and all that, secondary. But you know as well as I do, a lot of guys, their exposition is 60 seconds at the beginning of the sermon and the whole sermon is telling them what to do. That's excessive application. I, I do believe in application, and I'm, we'll talk about how to do that here in a little bit. W.B. Riley said that an expository sermon exists when one takes a section of Scripture and having studied it carefully, starts in to give an exposition of the same. Sermon making is slightly different from bookmaking and may involve a whole book, a chapter, or only a part of a chapter. David Helm with that nine marks group, you know, the, the Dever, is that his name? Mark Dever out in Washington, D.C. Uh, he said in his book, Expo Expositional Preaching, quote, expositional preaching is empowered preaching that rightfully submits the shape and emphasis of the sermon to the shape and emphasis of the biblical text. And that way it brings out of the text what the Holy Spirit put there. He quotes Charles Simeon, who said, My endeavor is to bring out of Scripture what is there and not to thrust in what I think might be there. I have a great jealousy on this head, never to speak more or less than I believe to be the mind of the Spirit on the passage I am expounding. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is really good right here. It's hang tough. In the textbook at the Master's Seminary, Rediscovering Expository Preaching, Richard L. Mayhew said this, Discussions about preaching divided into three types, topical, textual, and expository. Topical messages usually combine a series of Bible verses that loosely connect with the theme Textual preaching uses a short text or passage that generally serves as a gateway to whatever subject the preacher chooses to address. Neither the topical nor the textual method represents a serious effort to interpret, understand, explain, or apply God's truth in the context of the scriptures used. Now y'all see the difference in how we independents approach preaching and receiving preaching? That's why we're so uptight about some things, because we have a religious system. And when somebody starts messing with it, we get real insecure about the system. Because these guys are more open to have an argument about is social drinking a sin or is teetotal the only position. And they'll discuss it with information, clarity, academic expertise, scriptural knowledge. 
our group has a tendency to be astounded that one would even pose the question. And the only answer they have to anything is usually a quote from a preacher who said something slick. You voted for a snake, you vote for a Democrat, amen? And that's it, that's all they got. They get hot under the collar because they don't have a lot of information and somebody asks you two questions too far and they're mad. How you doing? You know I'm telling you right. By contrast, expository preaching focuses predominantly on the text under consideration along with its context. Exposition normally concentrates on a single text of scripture, but it is sometimes possible for a thematic, theological message or a historical, biographical discourse to be expository in nature. An exposition may treat any length of passage. That's excellent right there. It is in the scripture, every sermon is revelatory or explanatory or a combination of both. And that's what expositional preaching does. It explains what has been revealed. So every sermon in the Bible is an expository sermon. How about Acts 17 where Paul, it was his custom to go into the synagogue and to expound unto them the scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must have died according to the scriptures. That's literally opening their Old Testament text that they already knew and explaining it by laying Jesus alongside their text. To categorize exposition and topical preaching is mere, as mere matters of style. In other words, it doesn't matter what style, Categorize exposition and topical preaching as mere matters of style is to misunderstand the common meanings of the terms. Number one, the difference between the two is dramatic. Exposition is the effort to preach what the scripture says and means, understood in a way in which the author of the text would agree. That's what expository preaching is. Number two, topical preaching involves addressing a topic that ostensibly includes or is based upon scripture. But the connection is often unclear and the text is frequently void of any authoritative substance that relates to the majority of the sermon in question. That's just a fact. And number three, exposition does not mean preaching through the Bible verse by verse. Exposition is the result of a philosophy, a conviction, if you like that word better, concerning the determination that preaching involves explaining a text of Scripture. I'll make this statement and give some concluding thoughts on this lecture. This is not a criticism of independent Baptist preaching. That's not what this is. It's a criticism of bad independent Baptist preaching. Right? right. And how many of y'all understand that there are topical, preacher, topical sermons and topical preachers that are so good, they're not making a mess. And what they say is, has good in it. And I, that's what I've grown up in. So I'm not saying that they did no good. But we don't do it. Is that the way we base our future on? What we base our future on? Is that the way we establish the parameters of our ministry? Let's go take a bad pattern because it means a lot to us. And since it did some good, we'll stick with that. Hmm. That's like running a wishbone in you know, the 21st century. <laughs> All right. So here's, what, here's our concluding thoughts. Why in the world is this such an issue? And this, you've asked this question a couple of times. Good questions. So why would, um, what would preclude a commitment to exposition? Once you understand it, like what we've talked about now, once you understand it, I'm not advocating a dry, boring, 
read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain, read a verse, explain. That's not what I'm advocating. I'm saying that preaching must explain and apply the text. That's what exposition does. All right? Not a spiritualized text. But the floating axe head can't be anything you want it to be. <laughs> okay? Those bones raised up in the desert, that's not a revival passage. That's Israel being restored, right? That's what it is. So, why would people not want to be, why would y'all not want to preach the Bible? I don't get it. Well, number first reason might be mysticism. Mysticism is the practice that arrives at authoritative conclusions based upon subjective resources like feelings and experience as opposed to objective, verifiable facts like the Scripture. And boy, that bothers people when you challenge that because their religion's based upon those mystical impulses. That's the way they understand their worship. And you know, that, that's a little less perilous for some people, but for a guy that's as emotional as I am, and you guys can already see that, you know, I, I, I just get worked up. I'm into this stuff. And uh, I'm into everything or I don't want to do it. That's why I'm that way about Alabama football, because it's not fun to me if it's like, oh, well, it's just a game. Well, then I'm going to do something else. I want my whole life to be riding on it, and I want Bama to crush somebody's soul, right? And I want saving, screaming, and throwing headsets. I want, people, I want the fan base to be wrecked. I want the coach to be looking for a job the next year. I want people, you know, on stretchers. You know what I'm saying? It just gets out of hand. Well, a guy like me, you imagine how difficult it is for me to try to sense what the Holy Spirit's doing all the time in my life. One minute I'm under the house, one minute I'm in the clouds. I can't try to interpret God based upon how I feel every minute. I'd be crazy. I have to believe the Scripture and get within the parameters of the Scripture and try to do what it tells me to do. And mysticism is a problem, my friends. These internal impulses and emotional impressions are not necessarily God telling you anything. All right? Number two. By the way, I do believe that I believe that I am pastoring in Alabama because that's where God wanted me to be. Because I was on my way to Detroit to plant a church. All right? I resigned the church in Florida. I moved to Murfreesboro, Tennessee. My kids live there in Murfreesboro, Nashville area. And I just wanted to be close to them for a little while. And I was traveling and preaching the Baptist history stuff. And uh, it got a little tight, got a little hungry. So I'm going to have to make a little extra money. And so I went and got a job selling cars because that's what my family has done. And I had some connections and I knew how to do it. And so I went and just got a job. Thought that supplement my income. How many of y'all know a car sales job is not a part-time job? That's not, you know, they want you to sell your soul and be there 24 hours a day. And so after about, I don't know, four or five months, it, it dawned on me, I'm never getting out of here. Right? The Holy Ghost knows I'm here, but he's not going to come here and get me by the nose and drag me out of here. And so I said, I've got to take the advice that I've given other people. And I decided I'm getting back where I need to be because nobody's going to come find me. I candidated in some churches, and that was weird. It just wasn't going right. How many of you feel like that could be God? You understand? How many feel like God could put a wet blanket on that whole thing? And, and I don't know that he did, but I feel like he may have. So I'm trying to get in. I'm thinking, 
this is a church in Podunk that has nothing. Why wouldn't they want me to pastor? And I know that sounds cocky, but I'm thinking, I've been pastoring forever. And I go in there and I preach. I preach my nicest sermon, and they're still ticked off. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's the kindest thing I've got in my arsenal. I think, what is going on? I said, hang that. I'm going to go where a church is needed. I'm going to go to Detroit. Nobody wants to live in Detroit. All right? But it's highly, it's negativity is exaggerated. There's great neighborhoods, and it's a cool place. And I'm going to go there, and I'm going to try to plant a church. And in the process of moving then, resigning the job, and starting to move back with my parents for like I was going to stay there a month, get some money together, go back to Michigan. And in the meantime, I started filling the pulpit at this church and tried to turn them down, and God just he put me there. I'm not going to bore you with any more details, but it seems like the, the no's were louder than the yeses, right? I candidated in a church outside Chicago. I love Chicago. It's my favorite place in the world. Everybody else goes to the beach. I want to go to Chicago. I love the restaurants. I love the museums. I love the city. I dig it, all right? So I'm thinking, man, I would be 30 minutes from downtown Chicago. I get up every morning, get on a train, go downtown, buy an old book, drink some espresso. You know what I'm thinking? Woo, God is in this. You know what so I'm thinking? And I'm thinking, I'm not thinking I'm awesome. I'm not thinking that. But it's not easy to find a pastor. You ever tried to do that? You ever been around with a church trying to find a pastor? It's not that easy. And so I'm thinking, this shouldn't be that difficult. And we pull on the property, and I think, oh, this is it. And it's like, I feel, and I'm not being mystical, but I felt like the Lord said, nope. <laughs> I'm not hearing voices, but nope. The Cog Hill Country Club is right there. It's the only place in Chicago that's like, you know, upscale. I mean, there's, it's fantastic. There's a paved parking lot. I've never had one of those. God's in this. Nope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Nope, nope, nope. They hated me. It's the only time I've ever been heckled in the middle of a sermon. <laughs> and, and I promise you I was preaching a nice sermon. Ended up where I'm at now. And my point is this. Don't you think in this mystical conversation that God can work and make sure that we don't make the dumb mistakes that would wreck us? Of course. We're, if we're obeying his commands, his will to preach the gospel and to plant the church, how do we know that he would rather us be in Moulton, Alabama than in Detroit? How can I know that? I don't know that. So what happens? I try to follow God and obey him, and he closes doors and opens them. Closes doors and opens them, right? The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And he gets me where he wants me to be by arranging the outward affairs of my life. No mysticism necessary. No voice is heard. My authority is the word of God. Feelings come and feelings go, but feelings are deceiving. My warrants in the word of God, not else is worth believing. Second reason people hate expository preaching is sensationalism. Okay? They want to do sensational things. They think the power in their preaching is smashing a TV with a sledgehammer, <laughs> standing on top of the pulpit, swinging in on a trapeze. They, that's where the power's at, right? I know a guy who he was new in a church, and he got a goldfish and took it out of the water and just threw it out in the middle of the aisle. And it's just flopping out there, suffocating or whatever. And he preached on some of you are more worried about that goldfish right there than you are people going to hell. And that was his sermon. He just ripped through them. <laughs> Didn't go all that well. <laughs> Especially for the goldfish, right? 
Now, when I hear that story, it just makes me warm inside thinking about the people that irritate me. I don't care about that goldfish. But I know good and well that's, that's, there's a bit of sensationalism in there, isn't there? And the, the guy that did it knows he shouldn't have done it, and that's what makes it so funny is he tells a story about himself, you know? But sensationalism isn't the answer. It's not the answer. It's the Word of God. Number three, legalism. We've already talked about this. But let me be a little more specific. Legalism is a pervasive spirit. It is much more than simply adding works to grace for salvation. It has to do with any effort to equate the opinions and policies of man with the revelation of God. It makes something legal out of issues that are not spelled out in Scripture, often leading to the preaching to throw everything he desires to oppose up against the proverbial slippery slope. Right? Everything leads to something. Everything has an abuse potential. Man, pre preaching uh, eternal security has an abuse potential. You say, I can sin, do anything I want to, and still go to heaven? Well, that's exactly what I'm saying. There's more to it than that, though, right? <laughs> but that's exactly what I'm saying. So there's an abuse potential. You think a woman having to submit to her husband is something that can be abused? Absolutely. You think a woman knowing that her husband's supposed to love her as Christ loved the church and gave himself for the church, you think a woman can abuse that principle? Yes, but they're all true. So that slippery slope stuff doesn't always work. Um, sometimes we might just disagree. You just have a disagreement. All right? uh, preaching against sin is vital. Eviscerating people openly because you do not care for their style is terrible pulpit behavior. Love not the world actually has a meaning. We've talked about that. Fourth issue would be pragmatism. Is it wrong to equate gain with godliness? It is. Yes, it is. Wrong to equate gain with... Everything that works is not necessarily right or commendable. Does God use some prominent, exceptional men who took a different approach to preaching? Of course. But the issue is not, did Dr. So-and-so preach topical sermons and look at his great ministry? The answer is, what is scriptural? We never ever use men as justification for doing something that dishonors God. That, that's ridiculous, right? All right, anybody have any questions about this? Yep. Yes. Definition of pragmatism again. What was your point, just your one sentence behind that? It is wrong to equate gain with godliness. Anybody else have, have a question? I'll try not to go too long if you have an honest question, but you're afraid to answer because we'll be here for a year. You know that means. <laughs> Don't ask any questions. We've got to get out of here. And it's nearly three, so we can take a break, and then we've still, we've got, we still now we get down to practical how to build sermons. But uh, are you guys all on board with this? Do so you understand the point I'm making about what it means to preach the Bible? That, that's, I mean, y'all, you feel like you understand the point clearly at this point. All right. Now, you may not believe this because of our circles that we run in and how we behave, but it's all right for you to disagree with me. <laughs> if some of this is chafing to you because it's heavily stated, right? And my point of being so redundant and taking so long to make the point is because I want to make sure that you know this is not just a whimsical opinion. This is the view of every significant homiletician on the planet Earth. The only people who reject this are people who want to protect a topical approach to preaching. All right? Now, anybody want to push back on that and challenge me? I, 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 I want you to be able to do that if you want to do that. All right? 
system. Say that again, that last sentence. Anyone who would like to push back and challenge what, me. What was before that? I don't know what I said there. Well, you gave a reason why people don't want to exposit, as, as why they would rather stick with topical. Oh, I, I think, um, let's see. And I'm so tired I can't bring it up. <laughs> it's, it's slipped my mind. Yeah, anybody understand? What, what did I say there that he's, anybody can jog my memory there? Yeah. You said that the only people who um, disagree with expository preaching are the people who are trying to protect a topical uh, preaching style. Yes. Hey, that's good. Another thing. Yeah. Laziness. Laziness is absolutely a huge part of it. You can't go in on Saturday night and start working up a sermon if you're expounding Romans piece mm. by piece. Yes. You, you talk about looking like an idiot. Yeah. I study hard and often get in, the, I've gotten to get in the middle of the sermon and go, I think I'm in trouble here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm. Uh -huh. so I, I, I'm misunderstanding something here. And so then I have to make a fast mental adjustment, say only what I know is true, and then we're fine. Now I come back the next week, review, fix what I, the mistake I was making, they didn't ever hear me make, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had to do that a lot. Um, I, I, you know what I think is happening here in this specific meeting? One of you guys said it. I, I think main guys think a little differently than everybody else. I think you guys mm -hmm. appreciate fundamentalism. You're not hypercritical of the brethren. You're easy to get along with, but you think for yourself. And I think the expositional preaching just makes sense. How could you be against it? Mm -hmm. But I've heard people be <coughs> really against it. Okay? Yeah. And so that's why I push back with it's extra nasty, some of my pushback on this. Now that I know this group, I could probably go a little different route with some of this. But if I was teaching this to any other group of independent Baptists, 70% of the crowd would be not only disagreeing with me, but mad. Which is why a lot of groups wouldn't have me at all, because they know I've, I have this view. I've only been blocked by one person on Twitter that I know of, and it was over this. <laughs> and I never used the word expository for a long time until I, I, I one day, I just, this is all I tweeted, Ex, uh, expound equals explain. <laughs> and the next word underneath it, to make this subtle point, expository equals explain. So I said, while expository is not found in the King James Bible, the word expound is, and they mean the same thing. You know what I mean? That's just, but basically, I'm just trying to, a little bit of a goad, and uh, this guy's a bit of a big shot, kind of a camp meeting meets the soul winning crowd preacher, and he's a guy that's riding away, you know, he's getting it done. He's a good guy. I don't know him personally. I know he's a good man and he's a really good preacher. And uh, because of some of this pressure, I sense an effort to be even better. He doesn't want to be accused of being shallow. He's a good preacher, but he, he doesn't like this. So I called him, and I was going to try to square it up. I, I was trying to square it up, and he acted like he was irritated that I even called him and confronted him. <laughs> I wouldn't have known that he blocked me, but I saw his name. I thought, I think I know this guy. I like this guy. I've got a family connection to him. And so I looked him up. You know, you had connect or tried to connect with his, uh, bring up his account, and it said that this guy's blocked you. <laughs> what? You know what I mean? What, what the Sam Hill did I do to this guy? And I am really reserved on social media. 
this openness you see in here, none of that on social media much. I mm -hmm. keep it really tight, you know. And so I called him. And he just basically said, well, it's basically, you know, it's probably my problem, brother. I'm sure it's probably some stuff I just don't need to see. And some critical stuff. I said, well, critical? What critical stuff? Well, then it ekes out that it's about this. Hmm. It's about expositional preaching. And he said, I said, well, man, I'm not. I'm just trying to encourage people to preach the Bible. We've got some horrible habits in our service. And he said, well, that may be true, brother, but I mean, at least they got you, got you where they got you, didn't they? I said, what do you mean? Got me to a point where I've got to undo a lot of horrible habits because of stuff I've learned? If that's what you mean, yes, they got me there. And I had to completely re-educate myself as a Bible preacher as a consequence. That didn't serve my purpose of trying to reconcile again. <laughs> to me, that's the way men talk to each other, right? If a man called me and said, look, man, I love you. I'm not against you. I just, I, you blocked me, and I want to know what to do. First of all, I've never blocked anybody because that's what women do. <laughs> the only person I've ever blocked is something obscene that I just don't need to see, you know what I mean, or whatever. But uh, I, I, I don't block somebody that disagrees with me. And uh, Anyway. So um, now I feel like I see where we're at, and we're going to get nuts and bolts and dig in after this break and talk about how to build sermons, and we're going to talk together more. Let's pray again. Lord, I thank you for these men. And it's very difficult for me to, impossible really, to labor with men like this and to communicate things and to share thoughts and ideas without feeling a bond uh, with them. And the brotherly love, the charity that I feel for these men is real, and I thank you for them. I'm so glad I get to be here, and I pray that what we do next will be an encouragement to them that will be useful and helpful. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.